When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here with none other than Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. What is up, dude? How you doing? I'm good, man. How about you? I'm great. Nice. I'm ready to do this. Let's do it. So you're going to give us a recap on our boy? Yeah. I'm going to tell people about John Paul DeJoria, if they don't know. Um, He is a self-made billionaire, uh, was homeless at one point. Twice, in fact. Twice. Which is madness. He, uh, he didn't come from a lot, grew up in East L.A. And if you don't know, you may not know his name, but if you're a child of the 90s like me, you surely know his likeness because he was the face and founder of Paul Mitchell Systems, which yes. is the hair care line that became a billion-dollar empire, global empire, we'll say. Um, but not only has he done that, he's gone on to found a number of other ventures, including Patron Tequila, which I'm sure most of you are aware of. (laughs) Um, And he's just been incredibly successful, but he's done it with a smile and extreme positivity. And he's spent a lot helping other people, helping his employees and giving back. He has built philanthropy into all of his businesses. And that's a lot of what he talks about in the episode, which Mm. I thought was a great one and uh, ready to dive into it. Nice. Have you seen the response? No. I got the comments really, really positive. Very impressed. Yeah. So, uh, just want to welcome everyone too to Facebook Live. That's what we're doing here. Facebook Live every Wednesday after Impact. This is the show where Tom and I go deep into the episode that launched on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. You can do that one eyebrow thing, by the way. Do you do it on purpose? Oh, I can do, uh, oh, I can really do can. it on purpose if I I'm want. Super yeah. bummed. I can't con- do it. I've tried. I have control of both my eyebrows really? and my ears. Get, what? Yeah. I got to see the ears. All right. Hold on. I got to concentrate <laughs> a little bit. I can't. It's hard to do it on spot, but. Oh my God, you actually can. Yeah, That's can madness. Yeah. Amazing. You saw it here first, people. That's what After Impact is all about. Billionaires and wiggling your ears. Hidden talents. That's, yeah. Amazing. All right. So um, John Paul in this episode, he, he makes a remark in the very beginning where he says, um, in his generation, it was fun to work. Yeah. And I want to get your thoughts on that. What do you think has changed with this generation? It seems like a lot of people aren't having fun working anymore. Yeah, man, this is really interesting. And I don't, uh, I'm kind of tired of the whole generational thing because he, he, one, society, culture, however you want to define it, is always evolving and changing. It just is what it is. So every generation complains about the one that came, uh, comes after them and came before them, quite frankly. Like, oh, they've left us with this big mess and we have to clean it up. And I once heard this quote and it was like, oh man, the way kids dress today is so crazy. They're so disrespectful and outlandish. And it was like, you know, 46 uh, BC. And I was like, what? So it's like, look, people, it all sounds the same. So I don't like to get too hung up on that. 
I think the way that humans are wired, you're only impressed by extraordinary performance. So at the end of the day, the people that succeed are the ones that end up working their asses off and get really good at something. So I don't know. Do I think his entire generation enjoyed working? No. Do I think maybe they had more of the like, their parents just taught them, look, it's head down, grind it out more than today's generation? Yeah, probably. You know, he was, I th he's probably considered baby boomer yeah so it was like the children of the greatest generation as they're known they went they fought world war ii and they wanted to fight world war ii so this is all pre-vietnam pre-watergate this is before sort of everybody lost that sense of wonderment of their government certainly here yeah. in america wonderment of you know this sort of amazing thing that we're all a part of and you assail one of us, you assail all of us. And so there was some of that baked into the culture and, and those guys, you know, were sort of at a macro level, maybe a little more prone to just hard work. American dream is real. And because they believed in that, because they had hope, because they felt like if I put in the work, I'm going to get a, get a result. They were willing to do it. But like anything, you'd have hella lazy people. So I think he enjoyed working and mm. I think he really saw the value in that and I think that's why he got ahead and I like to think I speak to the people that have already clicked over in their mind and they accept that only people that are capable of the extraordinary will go on to succeed and so they're trying to step into that role people that disagree with that like I'm just going to sound like a crazy man to you so yeah he, he clearly hasn't has enjoyed his life um, even during the hard times and that was something that struck me from the episode is mm. when he's um, talking about those moments where he was homeless, living out of his car when he was going and collecting bottles. It didn't, I mean, maybe this is just because it's hindsight now, but it didn't seem to really phase him. It's like, yeah, that's just what you do, you know? You just kind of scrape together what you have and you keep going on and it's just very positive. It had a very positive outlook on everything. And he considered that one of the main things anybody has to do, it's baked into his, the company culture's positivity. He has three or four Ps, I yeah. forget, but um, one of them Product was positivity, positivity people, people, and planet. Perfect. So one of the four, like the four sort of core pillars of his worldview is positivity. Mm -hmm. And that to me just makes sense. So like there's just fundamental things that people have to accept about the human condition and positivity gives you the energy to keep going. It's focusing you on the, the, the energizing things, the possibilities, the things that might yeah. happen. And because of that, like you just have the frame of reference to keep pushing forward, to get that next skill, you know, and I mean, this was a guy whose wife literally walked out on him, handed him their two or three year old son and or uh, may have been a little bit older, but very, very young son and said, peace out. Like I can't do this anymore. And if in that moment you're woe is me, you're feeling bad for yourself, you're just not taking the positive steps to move forward. And the thing in the interview that I asked him that he's talked about before and I didn't quite get from him what I wanted because he's got this really great message about um, like first level is survival. But then there are like all these levels beyond it. And it's like as you get to the as you get to survival, then you need to get to the next level and the next and the next until you're like thriving and doing, you know, all this amazing stuff. And to me, that is the power of John Paul DeGioia is he doesn't like get to surviving and then stop. He doesn't get to thriving and then stop. He gets to not only thriving, not only doing amazing things to get back, but then building the next empire and the next empire and just like constantly trying to have as much positive impact on the world as he can. And I really think that all stems from positivity. It stems from the belief that 
no matter where you are, there's more that you can achieve. No matter how much good you've done, there's more that you can do. No matter how much fun you have, you can have more fun. It's just like there's this cycle of like how far can we push it and it becomes a very virtuous cycle. Yeah. And so I just think that's one of those things. I'm not saying you can't succeed by being a negative curmudgeon, but dude, you want to talk about 10xing the level of difficulty, like focus on negative shit. Like that, you're just not going to move forward. Yeah, he says something to the effect of um, positive people just have an easier time getting along in life, which I thought was really interesting. And, and if, you know, sometimes you meet people who are just overflowing with positivity right. and it just seems like nothing phases them. You know, My thing is, dude, look at everything from an evolutionary perspective. So if you assume that like negativity has its evolutionary place, what is that? Okay, it's probably to keep you safe. If you were like too excited to run off and go to that next hunt, then you might not be thinking about all the dangers. So, okay, I get it. I yeah. know why that exists. But then positivity, right? What is the evolutionary advantage of positivity? It's you're more likely to go on the adventure because if you yeah. don't go on some adventures, then you're never going to get anywhere. And it's like um, I'm reading Homo Deus mm -hmm. and he talks about the, um, the monkey that basically is so timid that it never thinks that it's worth the risk to go grab that fruit. And so it starves to death and doesn't pass on its genes. And then you've got the monkey that's so positive it thinks every scenario it's going to win and it either falls or gets eaten by a lion or whatever. So it's, it's the one that like edges up to taking more risks than the next but doesn't take so many risks that it ends up getting eaten. And isn't that really reckless. stems from... Yeah. What's that? Isn't reckless. Right, exactly. And that really stems from positivity. You have to believe that you can do it. And I think that he has that in spades. And because of that, he's while he's had very difficult times and he was homeless twice the second time he was homeless he was 36 so it's yeah. not like hey, he was homeless at 14 and again at you know 21 right it's like he was late in his life the second time that he was homeless so that really surprised me I when was that came up in the episode. as well i was I mean, surprised by the age especially because he had a kid at the time right, right. and talk about being down on your luck and then no just kidding. climbing back into it wow no kidding can Stars every, the belief. it does can everybody be positive you think? 100%. 100%. Here, lean in. Lean in, my friends. And I just had somebody um, uh, DM me in Instagram this right before. So we posted yesterday on the Impact Theory um, channel. I love it. It's such an awesome quote. And it was Conor McGregor. And he says, talent doesn't exist. And this is not the result of me being given something at birth. This is me being obsessed and putting in the hard work. And so the person wrote, and I could sort of feel the like annoyance in their tone. And they're like, do you really believe that talent doesn't exist? Do you really believe that we could, his examples were, could anybody become LeBron James or someone else equally, like, where we just look at them and go, oh my, we're astonished by their talent. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, this deserves a way more nuanced response than I can give you in Instagram, but the answer is sort of. <laughs> and what it comes down to, the human mind is so plastic. Dude, we are adaptation machines. That's what makes us great. How did we become the apex predator? We became the apex predator because we are so good at adopting or adapting to change. Like that is the thing. Like we're able to take a stressor, take a novel environment, take a novel idea, take a novel skill set, physical or mental, and rapidly, rapidly change the structures of our brain to become good at that. So when somebody says, oh, you know, could I ever be LeBron James? You're not necessarily ever going to be as tall as him. You're not necessarily ever going to be as strong as him. But can you get really fucking good at basketball? Yes. And look at Spud Webb. Um, 
There was another guy. Oh, who was the other really short guy? Anyway, there's two guys. Mugsy that have been, Bogues. Bu- Mugsy Bogues. Yeah. I don't know how you pulled that one out, but yeah. thank you. I'm a uh, basketball fan. Really? Yeah. What is happening right now? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. All right. We got to get deeper into that. All right. The amazing thing about this content, I learned new things about my wife, uh, which is unbelievable. So that's amazing. I can't believe I didn't know that. Um, So yes, you can become amazingly phenomenal. And the thing is, dude, to spend your time, if you sit there and say, I could never be LeBron James, guess what, motherfucker? You are right. And you won't be LeBron James because you built that in. (sighs) I so want people to get it. Jared, I so want people to get it. That just believing, even if you're absurd, even if you're ridiculous, if you set out to be LeBron James, maybe you don't have the physical gifts and maybe you never get all the way there. And maybe you just become um, a guy that plays on an NBA team, right? Nobody ever remembers your name, but you are a professional basketball player. You were one of the greatest players ever, if you take the population of people that ever start playing basketball and then you, as the person that made that NBA team, you're in .00001% of people that have ever touched a basketball. But there are some people, Jared, there are some people that in that moment go, see, I told you you can never be LeBron James. Right. That's so absurd. Yeah. Like, I have the chills. How, how does that help you? Like, that is so crazy. And I know that there are people, they they would feel righteous indignation to be like, I knew it. I knew you could never become LeBron. (laughs) And it's like, but you can't see that this guy plays professional basketball. Like, that's so nuts. And so, look, maybe you can never become John Paul DeJuria. Maybe you can never be as positive as him. Fine. But could you become so much better than the next person, that there is just a chasm of success, however you define it, between you and everybody else. Yes, because you get what you focus on. Yeah. So love it. Anyway, I could derail on that. <laughs> I mean, and we've had guests talk end. about that too. It's like, especially with athletes where they weren't the most physical or they didn't have like the natural athleticism. I mean, Michael Strahan. Right. Terrell Owens. Right. Even Michael Phelps talks about that. He wasn't destined to be the greatest swimmer of all time, but he put in the work and he always says, the, if, if it were easy, then everybody would do it. And that's how I got here is I just worked forever, every day. He didn't miss a, a single day of training in five years. Think about that. Think about being sick. And swimming as a swimmer, to. that is a tedious, monotonous sport. Right. And it's so brutally painful. I've done few things that I was like, whoa, that is exhausting. Like you can put yourself into like lactic acid spasms Mm -hmm. in a single lap of Mm -hmm. a pool. It's crazy. Yeah. We got to get him on the show. That would be amazing. I'd do it in a heartbeat. Um, But can he smoke a bowl while he's on the show? (laughs) Like That controversy just made me laugh. I don't understand. And I hate weed, but I just... uh, People want yeah, something to binge they about. Do. We're off on a tangent here, so let's bring it back up. Let's bring it back with a, with a shout-out from Portugal and Tacoma. I don't know who you are, but I know you shouted out. We got Tacoma out. in the house? Oh, we got Tacoma in the house. Nice. Respect. Hometowns. Yeah. Hometown, Better get some bacon in the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially, like, if, if you're from Bakersfield and you're watching this. Give a shout-out. Let us know what's I know up. you. I see you. All right. Comment from Mike Burkhart. Cold calling should be a college course. Let's talk about cold calling. Or in John Paul's case, door-to-door sales of encyclopedias. 
I had a question about this. So he says that this is what really built him up. Um, this is a formative experience for him because mm-hmm. it taught him how to get really good with rejection. Yeah. So my question was, are there any, what are secrets to getting good at rejection? If you're not going to go out and do door-to-door sales. You need to do something over and 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 over. Like the, the high degree of repetition is the key. So I've um, at least twice, and I bet if I thought about it, I've done it more. But I had a job as a telemarketer, which doesn't really uh. exist anymore. But because they can't get a hold of you, like there's no home phones. Yeah. And if you see a number come up, like I was doing it back before caller ID. So it's like you were answering. (laughs) So but then they were also pissed Uh like that you were on the other end of the phone. So I did telemarketing. I hated that so much. Um, Business AT&T. So trying Mm. to get you to switch, like if you were a company, I was trying to get you to switch from like MCI to AT&T. And so we like had all these things. We knew like what stuff they did on their bill that people would be like irked by. And so it was like, hey, pull out your bill and let's go through it and look for this charge. And isn't that crazy? Um, And then I went from that to selling insurance door to door. And that was brutal. Door to door anything. What kind of insurance? um, Legal insurance. So it was a company called Prepaid Legal. And um, it it was soul sucking. It was so hard, dude. No, no one wants to see you, and it is yeah. so awkward. So you're like, knock knock, buy this. It oh god, it's so hateful. But I did that. I probably did it only for like three or four months. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was my sole source of income. So it was like, oh, like I have to sell something. Yeah. Um, but I just yeah. I won't say I wasn't cut out for it. I will say that it was painful enough that there were other things I wanted to do and I had a fixed mindset. If I had had a growth mindset back then, oh man, it is, it is a, a growth mindset paradise because it's like one thing after another after another where you can adjust, learn, grow, push yeah. and see like, what do I need to do to get better at this? And so clearly he approached it with that because I think he even says in the episode, like it's just a learning cycle. Like you try one thing, did it work? No, yeah, adjust, try again. That. And that is incredible. But yes, I think that um, finding something with just a massively high degree of repetition so that you can trial and error your way through is the key. Um, and getting over your fear of rejection is pretty, pretty crucial. And I would encourage people to do like if you suck at public speaking um, to do like Toastmasters, yeah. something where you can get out there. Um, did you ever do that? I almost like I had still to this day, I have an alarm that goes off of my phone reminding me about one of the Toastmasters groups. I was about to do it. And then I started doing, um, inside quest. And so every week I was getting a chance to like be in front of people and speak. Um, well, your Toastmasters was the cafeteria, right? Yeah. School. But this was like, so this I did that all the time as a kid and then had whatever, a 15 year dry spell where I did only speaking in like boardrooms and stuff like that, which is very, very different. And wanted that like chance where it's like you were giving a presentation, which was way more anxiety inducing for me. Cause, and it's funny in high school, it did not trigger anxiety. It made me a little bit nervous, but it didn't trigger, trigger anxiety. I think because I was too young and naive to realize sort of how far out there you are. Um, and then once my prefrontal cortex fully developed and I realized what was at (laughs) stake, it was like, okay, wait now, now I'm super fucking anxious. So, um, but yeah, that's one way. Uh, shout out on Facebook to KJ Norlander. Love the energy coming today. Nice. We also got a shout out from Curtis Rapp. That's, that's, a, that's his name. That's right. an awesome name. <laughs> Curtis Rapp. That is pretty good. Curtis Rapp, Spitfire, Tom Bilyeu, Church is in Session. Nice. Yeah. All right, let's do it. All right, so um, 
thanks for everyone joining us on Facebook Live. Just a reminder, we're doing After Impact. This is the show where Tom and I go deep into the episode of Impact Theory, discussing John Paul DeJoria today, who is the founder of Paul Mitchell Systems and Patron Tequila, among other ventures. Um, if you find this content valuable, please share it on Facebook. That would help us grow the community, and that's everything to us right now is growing the community. Indeed. Period. All right, John Paul says, your product or service... Um, you have to make sure it's of the highest quality because you don't want to be in the selling business. You want to be in the reorder business. So I want you to unpack that for our audience. And then also, follow-up question, what do you do if you're in a company, you're working for a company, and you realize that um, that product or service is not of the highest quality? So, well, let's start with that. So if you're working at a company and the product is not of the highest quality, then I would see that as a huge opportunity, a very exciting moment in your career for you to do something incredible in the company to help them develop a new vision, to help them with product development, whatever the case may be. Um, hopefully you're working for people that are humble enough to know that you can always be better, first of all. Um, and I've, I, one thing I will say about today is... There's um, a lot of momentum of like work for a company for a bit, like 18 months, two years, and you move on. That's just statistics. Right. So I think uh, the average millennial stays at a company for 18 months. And that's a really, that's actually a very effective strategy for raises because you can typically get a bigger raise by going right. to another company. So I don't want to hate on the strategy from a money perspective, but it's atrocious from building trust, building relationships, and doing something amazing within mm -hmm. the company. So um, assuming that the people that you're working with view the team as that, as a team, and that they want ideas and they want to make the product better, then man, this is an opportunity to really invest and really try to do something fantastic and help push that forward. Um, the first part of the question was... I just wanted you to unpack. So everyone understands what he meant by you don't want to be in the selling business, yeah, you want to be in the perfect. business. Make sure that your product is great. So um, this goes back to that whole notion of, so if you think of yourself as a human, as the product, like to be extraordinary, that's it. That's the only path. There is nothing else. If you want to do something great, you have to be great. You have to actually be able to out-execute people. Um, think of it as how do you impress somebody? You impress somebody by doing something that they've never seen before that's better than what right. they've seen. Um, that's just super important. And when you think about truly a product product, then it really, the easiest way in a hyper-connected, hyper-social marketing environment where people can talk about your product, their experience, that they can get other people rallied around that notion, whether they love it or hate it, um, the only winning marketing message is an awesome product. Yeah. And I think people have to be really, really ask themselves, like, what's the problem that we solve? And once you understand what's the problem that we solve, then you can get really, really good at solving that problem. But if you're not, if you don't have clarity about what that is, like you're just not going to do the right things from a business perspective. And one thing that um, I will really, really encourage people to do with Impact Theory, don't just listen to what we say, watch what we're doing. Because there are many things that we do, that it just doesn't... It wouldn't be interesting for you guys if we were talking about it, yeah. but some of the things that we're doing behind the scenes to get good at, like there's a real infrastructure play for us because of this whole notion of if you're crowdsourcing creative, if you're trying to make money for the creative artist, like what is it that you bring to the table? And that's one of the fundamental pillars of how we're going to build Impact Theory, um, the studio bigger than Disney in a modern context. What does that look like? And it's one of the main things is to empower the artist. And I think whatever studio controls the love 
of the artist is going to get the um, best product, which is the creative product. And the way to do that is to make sure artists have been financially disempowered for a very long time. And so to create massive economic opportunities for them, what you have to do is get really, really good at the infrastructure of monetizing merchandise. So it's the one thing that there actually there's two things that an artist typically is not good at. They're not good at marketing and they're not good at merchandising because merchandising is logistics and infrastructure. Mm. So that's one of the things that we're really looking at getting good at so that we can help them monetize that. We understand business well enough to solve those problems for them. So it's like understanding that we get that. We get that that's our value proposition, right? So people look at our social content and they think that's it, but it's really like we understand there's like this underlying thing over here that's our real business. We've identified that, we talk obsessively about it, and so understanding what, like, what's your real business? Your real business isn't your marketing. The content is our marketing. The content right. is not our business. Right. Our business is over here. I won't derail us on that, but it's like, get good at this. Okay? If you get good at this, if you're extraordinary over here, if you put an insane amount of time and energy into this, and I have another thought, I want to keep derailing, but if you get really good at this, then, then, like, you really don't have to sell. You only have to make sure that people know it exists. Like, once this exists, that thing that you've built for people, then you've got something. There you have it. Make your product extraordinary, whether that's yourself or an actual product in your business. Yes. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. I'm just so interested in this. Will you please read Homo Deuce right now? I want to talk right. to you about it. Right. Like, I, right, I know you and I would have a lot of fun talking okay. about this book. And like, maybe we even do a special episode or something. Like, this book has captured my imagination in ways that I can't tell you. <sighs> okay, so here's what's fascinating about this book. <laughs> I know. This has nothing to do with the episode. <laughs> We're going to have to do a separate impact book on this We're going to have well. to. Yeah. Because, okay, reading the book, super random. Reading the book, it really shows me if you stop and just think deeply about a topic, it will change the course of your life the way that a rock can change the course of a river's life. Like it is, when you see what he's doing, like this isn't um, a researcher going in and dissecting like this is the state of the science. This is a guy who's looking back at the way humanity acts, humanity Okay, the human animal in a collective. Mm -hmm. How does it act? What drives its behavior? What are all these things that cause cultures and societies to move because they do move? And I thought, this is literally just him in like a bedroom somewhere thinking about shit. It is so well articulated, all the connections and taking this fascinating macro view. If people start taking that macro view of like their own life, what product they're working on, what they're trying to accomplish, which actually JP does an amazing job of, like that's when you get really extraordinary. And if you listen to the way that he talks about business at a macro level, like to don't be in the sales game, be in the reorder game, the way you need to treat your people, like all of that stuff, it's him like conceptualizing it at a macro level. Yeah. And he's just thought long and really hard and really deeply about how things interconnect and the truth that underlies things. Like you're in the people business. If you're in business, let me tell you right now, the real game you're playing is psychology, period. That's it. That's the game. And until you understand that and psychology of the customer, psychology of the employee, psychology of yourself, getting control of your own emotions, that's the game. Think deeply about shit. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions, and I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing, and a big part of that strict diet is high-quality animal protein 
and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Deeply. Stop. It reminds me of uh, the Nerdwriter episode, which if you haven't seen, it's kind of a sleeper episode. It's, I didn't listen to it for a while because I actually wasn't there, I think, when we filmed that. And when I finally listened to it, I thought it was amazing. And when he talks about how to construct a worldview, 
Like you have to create that foundation and then that's what you use to test everything incoming against. Mm -hmm. And then you pull pieces out and change it and keep building it. That's, I mean, clearly JP has done that, right? No question. He has his worldview. And you're right about the nerd writer. His mind is, he has a beautiful mind. Yes. No two ways about it. Indeed. We have an awesome question here from Laura Dufresne. Laura Dufresne in the house. As Uh, always, by the way. Welcome. Always in the comments. Love that. Uh, Fantastic episode. I'm loving the growth mindset theme of accepting failure as part of life that is popping up in so many episodes. How can we harden ourselves to failure, especially when it's visible to others? How do we maintain credibility while failing and learning? Take a long view. Like, this is one of my mantras. Never, ever, 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 under any circumstance, view view yourself through the lens of a moment. So if you think that today is the part of your life that's after the equal sign in a math equation, like my past plus yesterday equals today, it's like, that just isn't it. You are in the middle of an equation. You're in the middle of a journey. Like, uh, I actually hate that word journey. It sounds so cheesy. But you're in the middle of something. Yeah. And so if you believe that you are the end result and that, like, and I think this is how people view their lives. Uh, prior to, say, 1819, I was growing and making mistakes and learning was okay. And post that, I'm a product. Post that, I'm done. I'm a finished good. First of all, let's talk about the fact that the brain doesn't even stop developing until you're 25, in my case, maybe a little bit later. And that's when the real game begins. And then if we accept that we are adaptation machines, that myelination and brain change is real, the brain has a high degree of plasticity, like that the name of the game is the evolution of the person, that that's happening through experiences intellectually, physically, and emotionally every day, then it's like, okay, now I'm just, today's failure is a learning opportunity. I don't care. Because here's the thing. If you're asking me how to get people to stop from judging you, you can't. They're going to judge you. And they're, everyone who judges you is wasting their fucking time. And on a long enough timeline, you will leave them behind because you're not wasting time with that, least of all judging yourself. So once you understand awesome, this failure is going to teach me something, I'm going to go beyond it, that by the way, it is going to suck, you are going to feel like a fool, you're going to be horribly embarrassed when it happens, and your goal is just to get beyond that as quickly as you can. That's why I tell people to focus on learning to get control of your emotions. Mind control is about controlling your own mind. Why do I want to be a Jedi? So I can control my own mind. So that is the whole idea. Get control of your emotions so that when you fail, and people are laughing. Yes? I remember, I'll just give you a perfect example. I was skateboarding. This is back, I had no game with women. Zero. I was skateboarding in USC, and I hit a rock. You ever seen what happens when a skateboard hits a rock? Oh, I've felt what happens when a skateboard hits a rock. Skateboard stops dead in its fucking tracks. You keep going. Yep. And I tumble, and stop, and I'm looking up. And, of course, two beautiful girls looking down at me, and they're laughing. And I thought, thought, yeah, yep, here it is. And so I literally was just like, hey, ladies. And just, I thought, I'm not going to waste time being embarrassed by this. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It was funny. I bet from their perspective, it is legitimately hilarious what just happened. I'm not injured. So you just get up and keep going. And it, like, it's not fancier than that. It's just understanding that that moment doesn't define your life. And then let's make it a really extravagant failure, which I'm sure we have all had, where your family's worried about you. They're actually concerned. I've had so many panic calls from my poor mother who's just convinced that you know I'm going awry and that the world is crumbling down around me. 
And it's like in those moments, you have to remind yourself, this is A, I'm going to learn from this. Um, B, it's I'm in the middle of something. So I'll just keep going. I'll keep getting better. I trust in brain plasticity. I trust in my willingness to continue pushing and learning. Yeah, and if you believe that failure will ultimately lead to success, which it will, over right. time, people may be laughing at you, but then over time, they're going to just be impressed by you because you're going to win. Or, or they may hate on you forever. And that's why I say be, be motivated by beauty and rage. And there's just no two ways about it. The people that want me to fail, what a gift. Yeah. What a gift. Because in the 20% of my time that I allow myself to spend on the dark side... I, I am so spurred by that because I will not let them be right. Yeah. And I love knowing that while I'm struggling, they think, whoa, ha, ha, like that they've won, that they've got it. But anyone who underestimates my resolve, I will laugh hardest in the end. That's just the way that it is. I only spend 20% of my time there. Don't panic. <laughs> but like dipping into that and being like, yeah, please, I need some doubters. I need some people who want me to fail. Because in the moments where like the positivity, the beauty, it's just for whatever reason in that moment, it's not giving you that fire that you need to push through. That's when I dip in and I'm like, oh, that's right. Like those people think I'm a fool. Those people want me to fail. And in those moments, like, yeah, I'm not going to let that happen. You and many of the guests we've had on the show, I feel like that's a light motif of everyone who's been on yeah. here. Um, I think Layla Ali talks about that, who's going to be in the episode next week. Mm. Watch out for that. Most definitely. Uh, we got shout-outs from Vancouver and Cape Town. Whoa. Going global. Indeed. What's up, guys? Nice. Going to need names, though, uh, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> Going to need names. I'd love to personalize it, but I'll just say to the beautiful cities of Vancouver and Cape Town. What's up? What's happening? <laughs> Interns in the house, everybody. Um, all right. We got a question from Ibrahim. Ibrahim. What's, What's up, up Ibrahim? Ibrahim? Always, always nice to see you, my friend. He's a, he's a, he's a gentleman. Great he guy. Is. Met him yesterday. Why Indeed. do you think other businesses haven't been able to replicate his unprecedented turnover rate? And can you talk about the Dude, turnover rate piece? I, li, okay, so the guy is lost. And this, he's pretty careful to say at John Paul Mitchell Systems, I think. It's either John Paul. I think it's John think Paul. It's it must John, be because yeah, it was it over is. like an absurd like 30 years or something. So um, I'm sure and maybe some of his other businesses, maybe where he's not involved, it may be worse. But um, at John Paul Mitchell Systems, they've had turnover of less than 70 people in 35 30, years. 35 years. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I'm not man enough. Like I, I just, wow, that is so impressive. It's so impressive. So how, how big is John Paul Mitchell Systems? Um, I think like fifteen hundred. No, no, I think it's that less was, than that. Okay. So, but let's several hundred, yeah. several hundred. So over thirty-five years, it that's just nuts. That means that people are essentially working their entire career there. I mean, that in today's yeah. age, like that's crazy. So um, I I will postulate, but because I do not have as good of a ratio, like honestly, I have no fucking idea. Like. So here's my gut instinct. You are working in a business that is even keel growth so that because dude, high growth is stressful as shit. And you're going to like it's mm. so like topsy turvy 
um, and you're just growing so rapidly. So he's got to have time to hire really, really well. There can't ever be a time where you're like a little unsure, but you hire somebody because you need somebody. Okay. I've made a lot of mistakes there. Um, you, because the growth isn't so crazy, it's like people know what to expect. It's like a nice calm work environment. He really, really cares about people yeah. and he's able to put into the systems of the company that, and so that was a hard lesson that I learned at Quest is when you're growing at any time, you are what you write down. Unless you're good at knowing how to create systems that make people feel cared for, that let people know you actually give a shit. Like it is so easy right now, I like to think, for you guys to know how much I actually care because you're, you're right next to me all day. So it's easy to see like my actions and see how I treat you as people as much as employees or teammates. Um, when you get bigger, that gets really, really hard. So it becomes mm -hmm. only what you write down. And so getting really good at that, um, making sure that your HR team is not the typical HR team. Because here's how people think of HR. HR is meant to protect the company from the employee. Mm. That is so dangerous. Like fundamentally, the, the biggest piece of advice that I will give anybody out there starting a company, HR should be there to make sure that the employees feel good, that they, feel, that they, they have a path to fulfillment within the company. Fulfillment. And that, when you lead with that from an HR perspective, you've really got a shot. When you lead with, I don't want the company to be sued, you are fucked. I promise you. Like you're in yeah. such danger because it makes people feel like this. And if the game we're playing is psychology and you don't understand how people get when they feel that you're trying to keep them at arm's length. There's nothing worse than trying to go to HR for fulfillment or to help you with a problem and it feels like they're not on your side. 100%. It's the worst feeling. No question. Yeah. And like, it, it's this really subtle thing that like creeps, oh man. It, it, it is hard, it is hard. That entire industry, like they're trained generation after generation that their job is to protect the company. So you, you get this super weird vibe where it's like they present like, hey, I'm on your side. Right. But it, it's, much like an investor has a fiduciary responsibility to give you advice that's good for your, you and your money, truly most, not all, most HR professionals believe they have whatever the equivalent of a fiduciary responsibility is to the company. It yeah. is not to the employee. And yet, that's how they project themselves. So it becomes like the employee feels like weird, like you're saying you really care about me, but like your actions and your policies don't reflect that. Right. And I am not saying that's easy. Oh, dear God, have I made mistakes in that arena? But it's like looking back on my very embarrassing, going back to embarrassing mistakes and how do you keep credibility? You keep trying. Like you try anything and everything. And that to me is a key. And I once had an employee um, pull me aside and was like, I just want you to know, like I can feel you, like you're groping, but at least you're trying to find like a solution to as the behemoth is getting bigger and bigger, like mm -hmm. how do we manage all this? So um, intent matters and I think JP has awesome intent. I think that guy's, I think he's a good dude. I think he's just yep. a good dude. I think he wants good things for people. I think he likes to see other people be happy. I don't think he's ashamed of his success, which some people are. He is not ashamed of his success. He wants even more success, but he wants to do amazing things for other people. He does profit sharing. I think that's a big deal. Mm. Um, in fact, I'm knee deep in contracts now for like, how do we make sure that's an ongoing thing here at Impact Theory? So like that kind of stuff is, I think, why he's had the obscenely low turnover. And then I'm sure he was very, very involved in the business. 
And in doing that, he put into the DNA of the company um, that like, here is a truth. Humans are capable of immense good and immense evil. And the group think will determine which way it expresses itself. So if you create a group where it's okay to belittle, rumor, ridicule, judge, um, laugh at all of that, think of high school, then it will be completely acceptable. If you create an environment where that shit is not tolerated, that um, money isn't prioritized over people, that um, people are treated like a part of the team. And like, if that's really baked into the culture, then it's like, you can remove JP in this equation. You could remove him mm. from the company, but it's so a part of the culture now that it's like, well, people just aren't gonna tolerate that. So they're gonna make sure that people are taken care of. They're gonna make mm. all those decisions. And so then that becomes self-perpetuating. But if he had come in and been cutthroat and whip people and all that, then when you remove yourself, it's gonna be you know, 10x sinister. Yeah, hearing him talk about that reminded me of you know, Simon Sinek and a lot of his theories. And when he talked about it on Inside Quest, he said that successful companies, um, their leaders are responsible for the people who are responsible for the people who are then in turn responsible for the customers. Right. And by creating a culture like that, you create trust um, and people just perform better over time. And uh, I just felt like I, I bet, you know, John Paul Mitchell Systems is a, is a case study, would be a case study for Sinek in kind of analyzing those types of companies who do it well, who do it successfully. I think you're right on the money. All right, we got some names for our shout-outs. So nice. Leanne Smead from Cape Town. What's up, Leanne? What is up? Yannick Ethier from Vancouver. What's up, Yannick? That's a cool name. Yeah, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's uh, Ajse from Denmark. Do you think Ajse? there's a show in Denmark where they're like, God, I'm going to butcher this red... <laughs> I would Smythe. say yes, but most of them speak English, I know, True. so um, they, yeah, so they have one up on us. And then uh, I feel like American names have a lot less letters, at least that. The English language is ridiculous. There's only five letters here. Okay, I'm just so butchering just it that bad. Totally butchering it. Um, and then Tanja Tunjika from... Uh, Tanja Tunjika? Tunjika? Are you serious? Tunjika, I think. Tanja Tunjika? I'm probably butchering it. Tanja Tunjika! That is one of the greatest names I've ever heard in my life. That's like a poem. Tanja Tunjika? It's, it's really nice sounding. That's and amazing. She says, Ciao. I'm just going to say that. Ciao randomly. from Tuscany, Italy. Ciao, Ciao. right back. That is amazing. Tanja Tunjika. That's beautiful. awesome. Tuscany is a beautiful place. I was just there. You were indeed. Really nice. And uh, Sindre from uh, Norway as well. Nice. What's God, up, man. We, are, we we're really are global, global today. Worldwide. Love it. All right. Uh, just want to remind everyone we're on Facebook Live doing After Impact, the show where Tom and I go deep into the episode of Impact Theory. And yesterday's episode was John Paul DeJoria. Um, if you find this content valuable, please share it on Facebook with your friends and family and let them know about Impact Theory because we are trying to grow our community. Let's have a question from Sean Delaney. I was a huge fan of this episode. It was the little things that JP did that showed how much he cared about his employees. It's fascinating has been able to maintain the low turnover rate. Again, low turnover question. Mm. Um, and he said, what do you think has been able to sustain that? We already answered that question. There we go. But hey. definitely a, um, an interesting piece of the, the episode for people. Here's one from Brandon. When it comes to being unique and standing out, do you lean towards being different by bringing something entirely new to the table or towards outdoing everyone at what they're doing? 
if we're talking about building a business, is that the frame of the question? It sounds more Chase, personal. Yeah. So you guys are you guys we're, are at odds. We're different. I'll yeah. go. I'll go with both. Then let's answer it both ways. Um, so from a business perspective, you need to be solving a problem. So find a hole in the market and solve that problem. Uh, if there's not a hole in the market to solve, then uh, I think we should probably do something else. Um, just because it's going to be an uphill battle. So because people aren't going to want to buy it because there's already solutions out there. Um, when it comes from uh, from a personal perspective. Dude, find out who you are and be more of that. Um, so you'll see that this show is uniquely this. In fact, let, let's talk about what makes impact theory impact theory. Um, one, I am an excitable person. And so I let my excitement shine through. That has a big impact on the guest that usually allows them to let their guard down because they can see like, I'm, dude, I want you to fucking shine. Like I'm super, and like I was researching you and I was freaking out. Like, and that's why we're so hardcore about who we bring on right. because I want to be able to get excited like that. Um, I am super worried about not delivering value. Like that's a thing that I put on myself and that fear of wanting to make sure that I deliver value is one of the reasons that I do as much research as I do. I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't want to come out. Like I, one of the recurring nightmares I had long before the show came along, long before the show came along. In fact, there's only two recurring nightmares I've ever had, three. Uh, one where I was in this weird go-kart thing, no idea what that's about. The other, I'm in a barn and this owl keeps swooping down on me and as it swoops down on me, I become the owl looking at me. No idea what that weird. one is. Recurring. And then the third one is um, showing up for something and they're like, are you ready to go on stage? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, woefully unprepared. Or I'm about to take a test. Oh my God, I haven't studied. Yep. Like not being ready is like one of my like fundamental phobias. So that's why I just prepare, prepare, prepare. So you take all those things that are uniquely you and somewhere around episode six or seven of Inside Quest, I realized I'm going to be me. If I find something amazing, like I'm going to just say, fuck, that's amazing. If I'm like, I don't understand at all what you're saying, I'm just going to, I don't, I don't understand that. Or if I don't know the word, I'm going to be like, can you define that for me? I was yeah. just like, don't try to look cool. Like that was my mantra. Don't try to look cool. Because I think I am woefully horrible at looking cool ever in my life. So by not trying to look cool, by acknowledging the things that freak me out, by allowing myself to be excited, bringing guests on, like neuroscientists are just going to happen. Like they're going to be on my show because I'm obsessed with neuroscience. So, and at the same time, like I am moved by art. I'm wildly moved by music and movies and comic books. And so it's like all those things that are uniquely me coalesce into that stuff. And then with every passing day, this company becomes a fingerprint of the founding team. So everyone's bringing their unique personalities. And I think the company would be fundamentally different if you removed any one person. Um, so be you, be more you every day. Don't be afraid to acknowledge the truth of who you are and what you find interesting. And that's that. There you go. I love it. Um, I want to get a chance to talk about the, uh, philanthrop uh, the philanthropy that John Paul does. Mm -hmm. And also just, you guys got into a discussion about, um, you know, doing it, working on social causes, helping people out versus entrepreneurship. And I want to know what you think about um, working on social causes or starting sort of a foundation. Do you think that's a good proving ground for entrepreneurship if maybe you're not ready to start a business? No. No, I really don't. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think for anybody that feels moved to do that, um, it can be great. My thing with that is 
there's a reason markets exist. And people are saying that, hey, this thing is valuable. It's so valuable that I'm willing to pay for it. And that, when you remove that from the equation, it can't self-sustain. And so now you have to go out and beg for money. Sure. Let's call a spade a spade. So you have to go out and beg for money. So the question is, how do you address failures of the market? Um, which is XPRIZE's whole thing. It's one of the reasons that I got involved with them. But the thing that I'm pushing them to do is, guys, it's not enough to solve for the failure in the marketplace. Meaning, um, for whatever reason, the way that incentives work, what people are willing to pay for, this like cleaning the ocean. Uh, it's one of the XPRIZE's. Eh, the market just isn't going to get behind it. So, okay, awesome. I, I agree this is a problem that needs to be solved. So it's not going to be solved by the market. So now we're going to create something that can deal with this. But what are the applications for that thing that can become self-sustaining after the fact? So you use a prize model, which isn't the only model, but use a prize model to get people incentivized to come and solve this problem. But then once you have solved it, you need to, in my opinion, make a self-sustaining economic vehicle out of the technology. Yeah. And so if you look at a company like NASA, they create things all the time. They're governmental agencies, so their game isn't necessarily to monetize. But what they'll do is they'll say, hey, we made this thing, right? Like Velcro, I think, came out of NASA and... Uh, a bunch of other stuff. I, I can't remember all of it, but they're, they actually give their patents, they make them available so that you can license them. And for very nominal um, licensing fees, you can go build the next empire, which by the way, there are websites out there. I forget the names of them. We should really put a resource list together because this is fascinating. I actually consider this as a business model. All these research institutes that make stuff, they don't know what to do with it. So they make the patents available. So you go and the way that a license works is you only pay it if you sell something. So, hey, if my Velcro works, then I pay you whatever, a penny for everything that I sell. So maybe your profit is 30 cents on that. You owe them a penny. You got 29 cents of profit. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And so they're pumping out all this amazing technology for other people to come along and license it. Um, how did I get onto that? Uh, we were talking about social entrepreneurship. Yeah, so it's not often that I totally blank. There, I was totally blanking. Yeah. So I think it all needs to come back to something that's self-sustaining. So even Got if it. it's like a NASA Velcro model, um, you need things to keep going. Otherwise, you're just begging for money. And there are massive, massive, massive inefficiencies in um, that, in the overhead and things to so that your charitable donations, a lot of times, like ungodly percentages of it are eaten up. Yeah. Um, so I just come from the bent of find a way to make it valuable enough for people to pay for. And I'm very, very grateful to be a part of an organization like XPRIZE that looks to solve um, places where the market fails. Yeah. It was impressive to hear about his work in Appalachia where he set up the, um, he taught people how to farm and grow their own food and then sell that food. And that kind of became a self-sustaining unit in and of itself, but it did require the upfront cost. So A and B like... It's localized. It's very localized. Yeah. Um, so where I get excited is what he does in his companies where he's profit sharing and like helping inspire his employees to find ways to... They're not all going to start businesses. So, I mean, there is something to be said for organizations like that existing as an outlet for other people that want fulfillment, that want something that's high touch, that's very intimate one-on-one. -on -one. And this really does come down to wiring. And I used to ask this in interviews. Would you rather impact a million people and they have no idea who you are, they never meet you, have no clue that you help change their life? 
Or would you rather help one person and they would literally credit you for saving their life, for putting it in a new direction? Like which one of those would be more fulfilling? A lot of people would rather that one-on-one, like they want Mm -hmm. that human connection. They want to like be involved and really see in their eyes that moment of awakening and all that stuff. And while that really turns me on, scale is the only thing I care about. Sure. Um, so that's that's just me. I don't need other people to think like that. That's just how I think. One of the things I really like that he said on this topic, though, is that um, don't wait for you know governments or someone else to solve the problem. Like you see a need out there, it's we the people get right. together and go do something. I love that. Yeah. Do you ever fantasize about a post-apocalyptic world? I don't know that I fantasize about it, but I sometimes do. I think. Do you about ever read it. about it? Uh, like yeah. story set and your whole thing. The road. Jared, could it get any bleaker? Yeah. Like that I mean, doesn't exactly you know, give that me that's, inspiring he, look. He, he says that that's one of his stories about hope. I have to read it. I saw the movie and it, that was not a story about hope. It's dark. It's dark. Yeah. But so as a Stephen King fan, of course I read The Stand as a kid. Mm. And that kind of made me go like, hey, that would be kind of cool. Like it would suck. It would really suck. When virtually everybody you know and love is wiped out by the mega flu. Um, but post-apocalyptic is kind of cool. Like a start over. Like what does that world look like? I'm a big fan of change as well. So I know that's just crazy. And yeah. I don't actually want a mega plague. I don't actually want a post-apocalyptic world. But it is interesting to think about. Experiment. Like, yeah. Like what happens when this is all wiped out and you're at. It's kind of like having a big company and then starting small again. It, there are advantages to that. And if the economic system isn't built up yet, like there is, because, and he talks about this in Homo Deus, it's like most people don't understand, like what we think of as sort of the self evident economic system of growth and capitalism and all that. He was like, it's actually a pretty recent invention. And we, there wasn't any growth, there wasn't any credit. So there was no way to borrow and build and, um, and it would be a very slow time, which probably wouldn't resonate with my personality, but it's, it's very fascinating to think through how, like, what a just different variation of life that would have been. Mm. Definitely. We'll have to uh, do some content around that at some point. Yeah. Have you seen Apocalypto? Yeah. That's interesting. Like, what, yeah. what life would have been like, the good and the bad of it back then in, like, true hunter-gatherer bands. Yeah. That's a stressful movie. Why do you say that? Well, he's constantly... Oh, just what they live through? Uh, No, they get captured like right away in the beginning. Maybe I'm thinking of a different movie. I think I am. I'll have to go see Apocalypto. I don't know. Apocalypto was the Mel Gibson one, I think right before he derailed. I can't remember. (laughs) And uh, it's actually interesting to see like if he's going to complete his comeback. Hacksaw Ridge got really, really great reviews. Yeah, it did. Which I haven't seen it yet, but um, I love a redemption story if he can bring himself back. Uh... But anyway, Apocalypto is like set in the Amazon, I think, jungle. And it's like a tribe, but they get snatched by the city people who need sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And so then it's all about like their journey. And I don't know, it's just really, really well done. Let's check it out. We got a shout out from Andrea. She says, John Paul is such an inspiring character. I can add him to my life models shortlist. Nice. Thank you, Impact Theory, for making me discover him. Dude, worthy, worthy person to have on your list for Shways. Uh, I think we have time for maybe one more question and then we got to wrap it up. Wow. <clears throat> so this question is from Leanne Smead from Cape Town. Nice. I understand that with failure slash rejection, persistence is everything. But what happens when you encounter failure 
in an area that results in you deciding to pivot and change direction, and this leads you to questioning your judgment, as in deciding to pursue that particular endeavor. Hope that makes sense. It does, but I, so you get what you focus on. So if you are beating yourself up over, man, what was I thinking? Like, I'm such a poor choice. Um, yeah, you'll get lost in that and eaten up by that. And if on the other hand, you go, dude, I'm so stoked on myself. Like, even though I made um, a decision that ended up in maybe a quick failure or even a prolonged failure, it's like, I'm focusing on what I can learn from that. I'm focusing on the pivot. I'm really looking at what can I take from that learning experience and apply it to the next one. So it, just, it literally comes down to the framing. One is defeating, will make you feel less, will make you lose confidence in yourself and lose all of that mojo juice that makes you feel like you can trust yourself. And my worldview, the only cardinal sin is standing still. So if you erode your own confidence and you're not willing to try something new, you're not willing to pivot and move in a new direction or go deeper, harder in the direction that you were going, that's the failure. The failure isn't like, oh, I have poor decision-making skills. Man, a lot of times it's just like, you couldn't see around that next bend, nobody could, didn't work out, okay, fine, so be it. What are the skills that would have allowed you to do that or did you find that you don't really like it and so should be going in this direction because it's something that's more interesting? The only thing you have to be careful of is like, do I always do that, right? So. It's like in relationships, you, there is, it is the new love from a, a biochemical standpoint, from what we can brain scan standpoint, it looks like you're doing cocaine. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing. You're having a great time. And then that changes into long pair bonding, which doesn't look like the use of narcotics, um, and is way more fulfilling and sustainable and beautiful and amazing in my opinion. But like some people are addicted to that initial like cocaine-like love where it's like totally obsessed and like it's all you can think about and when they're gone, like you're aching and in pain and they just want that. And so they do that over and over and over. And at some point people are like that in jobs, they're like that in careers, they're like that in their next passion. It's like they're only interested when it's like neurochemically interesting. And they're not able to push through that to mastery. And so you have to be careful. Like, are you just chasing a neurochemical high or are you actually not interested in that thing? And so it makes sense to pivot. And that is one of those nuanced things you have to get good at. Like, nobody can give it to you for you. So, but every quest for mastery goes through massive periods of boredom. Massive. I had to remind myself of that today as I was reading contracts again. And literally, literally this morning when I, I paused because I'm not done, but I paused reading one contract only to go to my table and there's another fucking contract waiting for me. I was like, <sighs> Contract City. Contract City. Yep. That's a song. It deserves to be a hip hop song. <laughs> uh, and I thought, this is exactly what I tell people about these moments of boredom right here. So I'm not, I'm just going to suck it up and just keep going reading yeah. contracts. <sighs> contracts are not fun they they are less than fun all right well let's wrap it up i uh, i'm gonna try to give you three points three takeaways from the episode that if you haven't seen it um, you need to go check it out i think these will be interesting to you and something you'll want to dive deep into as you check it out so um, i think the three takeaways from this episode are one get good at rejection john paul says that himself get really good at facing rejection and then learn from that rejection every step of the way Number two, make sure your product is of the highest quality, your product or your service, whether that is that product is yourself, which I guess it should always be yourself, but then also whether it's a real product that you're doing with your business or um, for someone else's business, make sure it's of the highest quality. 
um, use as, as an opportunity if it isn't the highest quality to make it so. And number three, uh, success unshared is failure. That's what John Paul says. Um, you know, you're only as good as uh, the last thing you did that was great, and you have to continue to share your success with other people, your employees, help others out. It's not good enough just to make a lot of money. You got to make an impact too. Love that. Those are the three takeaways. Nice. So, thanks for joining us on Facebook Live. And if you find this content valuable, please share it. And yeah, you want to take us out? I do, all guys. Right. Thank you so much. This is uh, just a blast. I love answering all these questions, and am so so honored by everybody that watches the main episodes. Uh, really incredible. It is a weekly show, so if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.